Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Speaker, because it's a it's a doozy. Uh, next week, right here, uh, noon to one thirty p.m., we've got uh, Professor Gershon Baskin, and he's going to be talking about uh, rising challenges in the Middle East. And and if you have any interest at all, or if you want to glean any knowledge, that this is the guy to listen to. He's uh, it's going to be wonderful. Um, the moderator, little shorter, not quite as handsome, better beard than I have. So, you know, it, it, should be, it should be a good day. Uh, Professor Baskin will also, uh, he's giving his, and I can't believe how Sackpaw got him, but Sackpaw's got him for an hour and a half at noon. And then later that evening at 7 p.m., the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs and the University of Lethbridge are hosting him again. And, uh, and the talk is going to be a little different. It's going to be, how is peace in Israel, Palestine, and the Middle East possible? I mean, that's a, that's a loaded question. I, I, I mean, my answer would just be no, but he's, he's a lot smarter than I am. Uh, so enjoy your lunch. We are, are we ready to go with questions? We're ready to go with questions. The microphone is up there. Um, identify yourself, uh, as I always say, brief and to the point with your question, and then either get to the back of the line or, or take your seat, and uh, Arden will answer, and I'm sure I can trust someone to talk about dogs. If anybody misses part of this presentation, go to www.sacpa, that's sacpa.ca. We've got, oh, all the old, we've got all the old audio from the broadcasts. We've got upcoming events. There's, I, I believe there's a spot you can leave your comments. There's also a suggestion box outside. If you'd like to comment on how wonderful the moderators are for these, things like that are welcome in that box. So I'll, I'll call Arden up again, and let's give him a big hand, because I thought that was a really impressive, uh, really impressive presentation. Awesome. Welcome back. Thank you, guys. Um, I just wanted to also, I realized I forgot, I wanted to thank SACPA for having me in. Um, it is, uh, it's my pleasure coming and sharing my experience with you and some of the things that I found on my two-week two week trip to Russia. Um, and... Also, one second, one second there, Knut, sorry. Uh, Elperg also that did fund the trip. I was informed that people didn't really know what that was. Uh, Lethbridge Public in Interest Research Group. It is a group at the University of Lethbridge that makes um, projects that are in the public interest available. They make funding available to projects for students at the university. They fund things anywhere from, you know, 10 bucks to print a paper all the way up to uh, the six, $7,000 trip that was uh, Russia. I feel like, I feel like uh, Redford right now, anyway. Um, <laughs> so, did you have a question there, Nude? Yeah, my name is Knut Peterson. Thanks for coming. It was wonderful having you and making up the flyer. We were a little bit, uh, you know, we, we were thinking about, you know, there were some security issues. We didn't really know whether you were going to get back here or not. <laughs> so, you know, we had to kind of write it in a way that, uh, you know, to <laughs> pay attention to that. Anyway. My question is actually, uh, how about the sports itself, themselves? Were you impressed by performances and uh, all those kind of things? What were the highlights for you to, as a spectator, never mind all the other issues? Hmm. Um, that's a very good question. So uh, 
just the, the sports basically in general, impressive performances. Um, I did attend uh, five events as a spectator. I saw um, some bobsled, I saw some skiing, I saw some speed skating because I was a skater for a number of years. That was, of course, of interest to me. Um, I was present for uh, Alexander Bilodeau and Mark Kingsbury, or Mikhail Kingbury, Kingsbury's uh, gold and silver in uh, downhill skiing as well as uh, Heather Moise and Kaylee Humphrey's gold medal bobsled uh, take. So I was there for that, and it was really incredible to be there. There was probably about 18 Canadians all in a row in the finishing house. So they go across the finish line, they get their time, and then they, they're uphill, and they hit the brakes, and they come into the finishing house. And the, you know, the Canadians, of course, all just exploded because, well, it was actually once we found out that USA hadn't beaten Canada. So when it comes to performances of athletes and such, uh, it was really impressive. There were a lot of... Um, there were a lot of... Um, there were Olympic records that were broken, definitely, when it came to speed skating. Um, there were different venues that, uh, again, were setting things that hadn't happened before. The ice was good. The venues were prepared. The athletes, a lot of them were really at the top of their game. There were a number of athletes that performed incredibly well. Um, and countries that nobody really expected to, uh, you know, get a ton of medals took, took to the top of... Um, top of the medal standings. Um, Russia, exactly, uh, for instance, came out on top, and they haven't always been the, the strongest when it came to Olympic uh, medaling, but they came out with the most gold medals uh, in their home country, and that was really impressive. So overall, the experience as a spectator was quite incredible. Uh, the athletes were prepared. They brought their game, and any event that I attended was uh, just a ton of fun. Everybody was thrilled to uh, support their country um, I would say most countries that were there that had uh, good performances were very, very well represented. Hopefully that answers your question. Uh, my name is Van Christou. Uh, thank you, Arden, for your presentation. I feel envious of uh, the person that had the opportunity to, that you did to be over there to see, uh, see those games. Um, as a journalist, though, I, I can see where you have to keep your nose to the ground and and ferret out all the uh, negativities that, uh, that come along. But in the overall picture, what is your opinion of the value of those games? Did they come out positively for the people of Russia and for the rest of the people of us around the world? Uh, thank you. Um, my opinion of the games, well, <laughs> they, uh, they went off pretty well, I would say. I mean, a lot of the issues that were anticipated didn't really come to fruition, like all the Sochi problems and such. I didn't experience as many of those things. And when it came to the Russian perspective of those issues and that skepticism, they didn't have any problem. That's the way things are in Russia. It's very different uh, just socially and uh, the way the country operates and the way the locals behave. Um, people there don't smile for no reason. I smile for no reason. I would be sitting on the train. Security, security would walk through. They would look at me. I would smile. They would look at me harder. And uh, so... It's a, it's a bit of a cultural difference. Um, I would say the games are, you know, in the end, it was a success. They pulled it off. Um, they brought all those different countries uh, to, to their country, to Russia. They kept everybody safe. Um, and, you know, the competitions, uh, there, weren't, there weren't a lot of, you know, scandal issues, judging issues, things like that, maybe the odd one. Um, but, you know, sport-wise... Uh, they did everything that they said they would. It's just everything around that got a little bit messy. So I was, I was impressed, and they definitely got the job done. So, Thanks, Arden, for your presentation. Mary Shillington, uh, I'm glad that you sat at our table at an earlier SACPA, and, and uh, Terry was able to nab you to come and speak. So thank you for doing that. Um, I'm impressed that you uh, 
lived in the more in the economy in the rural area. I thought I thought that was very smart on your part because you would get to see all kinds of things. I remember being in Russia one time when we were on a tour with a German group, and the bus driver had some extra time, and he took us into a part of uh, the city that he wasn't supposed to take us to when we saw, you know, the pump in the middle of the square, the pumping pump, you know, for water and so on. And uh, the uh, the tour guide was not impressed with what, what thought she'd be in trouble. So there's certainly parts of Russia, that was a long time ago, but there's certainly parts of Russia that you saw that others would not see. But my question is, uh, on CBC they had a, a young mom who stood in line holding her young child uh, for hours, and then eventually she got into the building and stood in line for some more time and holding her child in order to get tickets to, for some of the events. And she obviously was very determined. So I'm wondering, what happened to the average Russian? Were they able to get tickets? Uh, uh, you know, was it cost? Was it not available? Did they have to have certain qualifications in order to get tickets to go? Like, what's the story on that? Um, okay, so it was my understanding that when it came to tickets for Russians, there was a number of release deadlines. It was, you know, 10 a.m. on Ticketmaster type thing. <clears throat> they could go onto the official Sochi website. Um, don't quote me on the stat, but I think it was something like 70% of tickets, a very large percentage of tickets, were provided to Russians in the stands, large majority Russians. Um, so there definitely were a lot of people there. The question of uh, their economic status, you know, when it came to are they wealthy, are they middle class, are there lower class people that, you know, they just snuck by, they got a ticket and they went and saw an event and that was, you know, that was thrilling for them. Um, I'm not really sure. I heard that there, there were a number of people that were around uh, Russia that weren't able to make it to the games, largely due to the cost of transportation and accommodation during the games. Um, I did attend for the full two weeks. I arrived the day after. Um, I arrived the day after the opening ceremony, and I left the day before the closing. That was kind of unusual if you weren't an athlete or a, an official. If you were a tourist, there were a lot of two, three, five, seven-day packages where you could come, see a couple events, and go because it gets to be very expensive. So. Um, Russians definitely were able to see the games, but there were a number of barriers when it came to getting those tickets. There were a lot of line, uh, a lot of long queues at um, at the Olympic ticket office to wait for those last-minute releases and tickets and stuff. People were able to get them. Um, people in Sochi, Sochi Nets, I believe they were called, um, had sufficient access to the games. I would say, and the cost, the way it works out, um, a, a standard. Oh man, a lot of numbers. I think fifteen. 15,000 rubles a month is what somebody makes. That works out to uh, $500 a month Canadian, roughly, if my math is correct. Um, and so that's, that's like entry, uh, basically working full-time at McDonald's. So just to give you an idea, the tickets cost anywhere from $40 or about 1,000 rubles all the way up to uh, like $1,000, so I don't know, 30,000 rubles or something that works out to. Um, and so the tickets were rather expensive when it comes to the income level of a lot of locals, but you could definitely be selective with some events. And I got one or two of my tickets for 40 or $60. So if you just wanted to go and experience it, it was definitely accessible. So. Hello, my name is Frank Toth. I, uh, I have a little different point of view of this. I was brought up in the Depression years, and uh, I, uh, I was taken back a little bit with your cynicism on the speech. Uh, it almost sounded like the CIA paid for your trip. Uh, when you take a Carnegie speaking course, 
you're told to speak the level of the people plus try to be as positive as possible, okay? I wonder if, if you're aware that we gave away $400 billion in royalties in Alberta. If, if you knew your Alberta history as good as you do with that uh, hard word, Steinitz, uh, you'd realize that there's still 3,000 people leaving, leaving, sleeping on the streets in Calgary, and Alberta's got the highest unemployment rate in Canada, all right? But anyway, uh, I think positivity would be a merit, and, uh, and more about the success, I think, is more appealing. And I don't try to be negative. I don't mean that, but the rocks that you're thrown from a glass house, I think, is a good lesson sometimes. Thank you for speaking anyway. I, I, I apologize for being negative. I grew up during the Depression years, okay? I understand. Thank you, Thank you for your comment. Um, to say, I mean, my opinion of the games when it comes down to Russia and their execution of it, I don't, I don't have anything, you know, against the country. And I understand there are a lot of cultural, monetary, economic differences, and I don't claim to be an expert on a lot of the issues that I explored when it came to the trip to Russia. Um, so there's definitely a lot to be thought about. And you're right, I, I had to be a little bit careful about stepping on toes, commenting on a couple things, economic issues and differences um, when it comes to Alberta and, and Russia and such, even when it comes to you know, how people see Russians and their country, for sure. Hi, my name is Dan Kordakowski. And I'd just like to say I'm also envious that you got to go to Sochi. I'd like to attend the hockey games. I'd be right there with you. But... Uh, I was just going to ask you a couple of questions, very quick though. Uh, first of all, with your experience, would you go to, I believe it's Korea for the 2018 Winter Olympics? And also if you could talk about the dog again. I've been told to ask you that question. Roger that. Okay, I'll get to the dogs in a second. Uh, Korea, Pyeongchang has been awarded, uh, for those of you who don't know, with the 2018 Winter Olympics. So again, you know, Korea has always had an interesting position on the, the global stage, um, and the Olympics are headed there for sure. That would have been awarded in 2011. The Olympic Committee, uh, International Olympic Committee would have said, okay, Korea it is. So at every Olympic Games, they have an installation for Pyeongchang, um, or the, sorry, an installation for the next set of games at the current one. So there was Pyeongchang House. You went inside, and it was basically a big experience of what you can expect there, the type of uh, branding and experiences and some of their, uh, the way that they're marketing their country to the world, basically, and how they're bringing all the athletes four years from now to their country to have the same thing. So um, I can't officially, you know, I don't want to comment on whether or not I would support that decision for the IOC to send the games to Korea. I don't know enough about the situation there, um, or I don't really know anything about Pyeongchang itself. Um, I would say that's an issue that needs to be explored when the time comes. We could, I mean, there's definitely research and numbers to be done. The Olympic bid process has been completed. Pyeongchang made their case for why they want to have the Olympics there. Um, and the IOC deemed, uh, deemed the city fit, so they have already begun the development um, for the Games there in 2018. So, um, to the dogs now. Oh, someone <laughs> mentioned dogs? Yay. I believe you have some photos. I have some photos of some dogs. Um, are you waiting for something to do? Yeah? That's no? okay. I, I'm eager to hear about the dogs. Alrighty. Uh, we will go back. And thank goodness for Korea, because there's no hot button political issues there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, we will start here. Okay. Uh, 
Okay, so this dog was uh, sitting, sleeping outside the Olympic Park. It was initially, honestly, I thought this dog was dead. I was kind of concerned because I walked up, the dog didn't care, the dog didn't look at me, open its eyes, sniff, really notice anything. There were a lot of people in this area. This was just outside uh, the Olympic Park gate. You can sort of, it's very blurry due to the camera that I use, but you can, uh, you can sort of see the Olympic gate and a bunch of people doing their thing going into Olympic Park. Um, in the background, and this dog was paying no attention to it. The security uh, in the area said he's a he's a good dog. He's had a long day, uh, as an explanation for why he was asleep when I arrived. Um, and you know, I'm like, okay, cute dog. I took some pictures. There is one that I I, I like a lot that is being shown at the U of L P building. So you'll have to come and see it there on Saturday, um, or afterwards. Uh, like a, I don't know if I mentioned this, a company was hired to remove the dogs from the streets. Um, because it was deemed an issue. Uh, they were using poison or traps to um, basically eliminate the animals from the streets because the stray uh, dog issue is, is an issue. There's a lot of them there relative to a lot of different countries and cities, um, and there was a lot of uh, animal rights issues. You, you can't do that. Um, it starts with a cultural difference in that a lot of families uh, sort of test drive a dog, and they get a dog and say, you know, maybe this isn't working out, maybe we can't afford the food and the up, uh, just the cost of having an animal in your house, and so they decide to, you know, take it a couple blocks away and leave it in a park, and that happens a lot. So there's a lot of animals on the street that, interestingly enough, looked like purebreds. So they weren't, like, you know, second, third generation street dogs. They looked like they were literally somebody's dog, and they were just put there. They'd only been on the street for, you know, a number of weeks or months or whatever not too long um, in, the, in the big case of things. Uh, contrary to what you saw in the news, it was not just dogs. Uh, this was a kitty that was waiting at the bus stop near where I lived. I saw her a number of times and again, paid very little attention to me when I was getting near or anything. I didn't go and touch the animals or anything for fear of uh, getting bit or something like that. That's a whole other story. Um, but uh, they were present, but not overwhelming. And I can't really comment on how bad the situation was before the Olympics because there was definitely a company that had eliminated a lot of the animals from the streets, unfortunately. Um, there is Pava Dog Dog uh, Shelter that exists a little ways from Sochi. They are uh, saving dogs, feeding them, providing them with a place to be. Um, hopefully for adoption, and they are bringing animals to the United States to expedite the process. If you say, I want that dog, they can bring it to the States, you can bring it here, and you can have a, a Sochi stray. So that's, that's good. There is hope for a lot of these animals, and there are people there that are still working today to, uh, to solve that issue. Um, excuse me. The, uh, this was a picture taken in, a, in an area. I don't have any other shots from, from that from that day, well, from the day, but from the area, I was walking, and I looked on my map, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go for a little walk, and I'm going to go up here and across, and then back down, and I went up, and I started to go across, and I was walking down this street, there was a man there who was wa uh, walking, or sorry, washing a bunch of rubber mats, and there was a very large dog that was not on the leash, and it started barking at me as I approached, it was a pretty narrow road, and I started walking, and I'm like, okay, this dog just like barking its head off at me, and I, I walked past, and the man said something to me in Russian, but I don't speak Russian, I just sort of continued on. Um, unfortunately, this day I happened to have Canada across my shirt and Canada on my backpack. I sort of looked a little ridiculous when it came to walking way out of my league in this area in Russia. But um, this dog was barking and barking, and um, he said something to me in Russian. I kept walking, and then I realized, oh, I'm at a dead end. And it was a locked gate and a locked gate and the train line. And you can't hop that 10-foot that fence to the train line, CCTV, electric fence, all that good stuff. So I'm like, okay, turn around go back, I'm heading back towards the barking dog and the man who doesn't really seem to like me being there. I said, Nyat, I said, no, I understand, but I can't go that way. 
Um, and I started walking, and I just said, yep, on the Mayu, and I, I started walking away, and the dog was still barking its face off, and as I went by, it was woof, 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 right? And then I kept walking, and it started following me, and I'm like, okay, this is weird. It kept barking, kept barking, and I kept walking a little bit faster, and then as I turned to, to increase the pace a little bit, I felt uh, a nip at, at the back of my thigh, and this dog actually had nipped the back of my thigh. It didn't pierce any skin, didn't even break my jeans. I was wearing jeans and another pair of pants underneath. I was very lucky. That could have been a serious situation. Now this could happen anywhere in, I mean, anywhere in the world. There are large animals, but definitely the, uh, the sheer amount of stray dogs there are dogs. I don't know if the dog belonged to the man or not, but the, the number of animals on the street that are not controlled or taken care of um, is something worth paying attention to undoubtedly. So that's my one dog story. The other one um, comes to a woman named Ludmila. Um, I didn't know her name when I first met her. This is the bus that I took from Elitza Chernovitskaya um, to get to a train station day to day. Avtobus David, bus 59 as I said. Um, I got on the bus and I decided I'm going to get off early today and I'm going to take some pictures of a, uh, a power plant that's brand new and powering the games. It might be interesting. It also happens to be across from an army installation with some missiles that are overlooking that. So, <laughs> uh, long, you know, in the end there, the army officials were not too happy that I had a camera there and they checked my papers and told me to leave. But I'll get to the story. So I got off the bus. This woman gets off the bus at the same stop and goes up onto a berm and begins feeding uh, these two dogs. She takes out some slop from her bag. I don't know what it was, some type of meat and bread mix, and, and the dogs start eating it. And I tried to express my uh, appreciation and my happiness as best as I could. I'm like, oh my God, she's feeding the dogs. I was not expecting this. And I smiled and I said, Spasiba, I said, thank you. Um, and she said something in Russian and then she started off down the street and I started to follow her and I took a couple of pictures. She didn't, didn't seem to mind. I said, uh, you know, I am, I'm a photographer. Yeah, I'm a photographer. Uh, and I'm taking photos for school, for university, and um, she seemed to be okay, and she motioned for me to come along. Um, we went past the army base, and you know, she kept walking, and I just sort of followed, and she turned left after the army base, out into some dirt, and I followed, following in her steps. I didn't really know what was, what was underneath the ground near this army base. Um, you know, safe and sorry, I suppose. Um, and we went down, and she called Djevishka, Djevishka, which is girls, and these two dogs appeared from the edge of the, that plot of land, and they came to her, and she went down, she undid her bag again, and put some more food down, and this was one of the dogs there. Um, they came to her, she fed them, and then she pulled out a syringe, uncapped it, and gave them each a shot in the back, and rubbed them affectionately. Um, I did see her again at a different point. She was getting off the bus at the same stop, her bag full. I presume she was going to feed the dogs again. I showed her a picture of herself, and she smiled. I wished her good luck again, and she went on her way. So um, after this, on that particular day, we went to two other locations, fed a couple dogs at each spot, and I just sort of followed along, uh, going with the flow and taking a couple shots. And um, she got on her bus, and she had, was going somewhere else. I was going to the train station. She wished me good luck. I wished her the same, and we said goodbye. So there are people there that are taking care of the dogs, definitely. And, I mean, she takes a decent amount of time out of her day to, uh, to care for them, which was really surprising and kind of moving for me. So while it was happening, I, I put a tweet on I'm like, oh, my God, I'm following this woman who's feeding these dogs. This is incredible. So, <laughs> um, yeah, to comment on the dog situation, like I said, they're there. They weren't overwhelming. I can't really say if it's always been that way due to the fact that the, the company that was hired, I believe the CEO called them genetic scum. Um, those animals, yeah, but there are, there are initiatives to, to help that problem out. Um, and I mean, if you're looking for a dog, <laughs> there you go. So. <laughs> uh, Terry Shellington, thank you very much for your presentation, Arden. I've been looking forward to it, and I certainly haven't been disappointed. I think you've had a tremendous opportunity as a young man. So, uh, part of your education that's priceless.
Um, <clears throat> I want to go back to uh, the sporting experience and your observation of Russians. But the Russians, as I recall, lost two hockey games <clears throat> uh, <laughs> in the tournament, one to the U.S. and one to the Finns, if I remember. <laughs> Did you have a chance to <clears throat> take the pulse of Russians around that. those around that? Yeah. After that, uh, walking around, everybody loves Canada. Seriously, you're walking around there, and I have a Canada jacket and the mittens, which are you know I took a number of those and a big toque that I refused to give up until the last day. People were like, "Oh my God, I want your toque. I want to trade." And I'm like, "No, I need it. I love it." Um, and people, uh, I would be walking down, uh, walking around Olympic Park, and people would yell. Canada forever, and I'll be like, okay, all right. <laughs> so, um, people there, they love Canadians. I mean, but when they when they lost those games, I mean, people they were always like, hey, you know, Canada and Russia in the hockey final, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, all right, hopefully, cool, we'll see you there. And um, but when they when they lost the games, you know, they were a little bit put out. In interestingly, the ticket situation changed like that because all of a sudden, all these Russians didn't really want to go to the game anymore. But a lot of people just went straight to Canada. They're like, go Canada. So um, it, uh, you know, it is one of many sports that were taking place, so it was difficult to, to separate the real hockey diehards from everybody that was there. Um, but uh, they did very well overall in the medal count. They were still very proud of their country. Um, and I mean, some, you win some, you lose some, and I think they definitely understood that when it came down to it, Canada versus USA or all those different games, as soon as Russia was out, they pretty much started rooting for Canada, which I found interesting. We have a pretty good reputation abroad. So. Oh. oh, you shut me off early. Oh, oh. <laughs> Annalise. Okay, my name is Henning Mendel, Arden. And uh, following up on your dog story, something that I came across during the Olympics concerning the dogs is sort of a, quite a different perspective than the things you've mentioned there because it related to the fact while where the uh, Olympic Park and village and everything was built, the people were moved and pr presumably have housing, but a lot of the dogs and cats, that was their home. They're going, they didn't have places in the apartment buildings for the animals. They weren't allowed to have animals in those apartment buildings that were built for them. This was the home of the animals. So I wonder if you've heard that, and maybe this lady then, A, she might have had her own dogs involved, but maybe then particularly because of that felt sorry for the dogs that were left without homes. Um, were you speaking to specifically the, um, the sort of Olympic-provided housing there? Yes. No, 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 no. Or for the, the people that moved. were moved away right. from, the, uh, from where the Olympic uh, facilities were built. Right, yeah. So uh, word on the street, as best I could get, um, was that a lot of people were moved out of their houses. There was a lot of farmland where the games took place, but there was also a lot of communities that were displaced. And I believe those people were offered a sum of money to move, or they could move voluntarily. A lot of them took the money. Some of them stayed till the exact last minute until the country basically said, nah, get out, we're building here which is rather unfortunate. And I don't know too much about the dog situation when it comes to where they were moved to. I believe they were sent to a village in who knows where, um, and a lot of them were not very happy about it. If they had animals, um, 
you know, perhaps the animals stayed behind, but it, as far as I understand, it was not a, re a direct result of the Olympic displacement that those animals were put out onto the street because they were up in Genovitskaya where I was living, and that's a long-established area. There's people that have been living there forever, and the dogs are there too. The dogs are up in Krasnaypoliana in the mountains, and there isn't really a lot of space to be in the valleys. They're up in Sochi, and there wasn't any displacement in Sochi. There was a, a train station or two, a couple buildings that were converted, a lot that were covered up. But aside from that, you know, um, there wasn't a lot of construction that took place in Greater Sochi, and those dogs were still around to be seen. So um, something tells me that it wasn't just about the displacement. They were already there regardless of uh, which region you were talking about. That's uh, to the best of my knowledge. So over to Dylan. Thank you very much, guys. <laughs> Thank you.